Hello everyone, I'm Zola Zinkit. Welcome to COVID Stuck Abroad, the podcast where I get to chat with South Africans who are living abroad in 2020, when COVID-19 changed the world as we know it. This podcast aims to tell the personal accounts of guests featured and does not claim to offer verified facts. To get verified information about COVID-19 and related information, please refer to the official World Health Organization website, as well as the official South African government website. Please see the show notes for links. It must also be stated that COVID stuck abroad will not tolerate xenophobic sentiments. Listeners should recognize that the personal experiences of one individual cannot be viewed as a representation of an entire nation, ethnicity, or culture. Okay, now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Nentland Lazungo. She's a PhD candidate at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. She moved there in 2017 to continue her studies in the field of psychology. Hi, Snare. Hi, Zola. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. And you? I'm all right, thank you. How is the weather, that side? How's summer? Just how's everything? Um, most things are pretty good. I'm happy to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you. The weather is scorching. It's summer. I love summer. I thrive in summer. Um, so I'm having the time of my life right now. Um, I'm so jealous. You know, I feel like even though summer is just great wherever you are in the world, nothing beats South African summer, especially December. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like December is a cultural event yeah. that only exists in, in South Africa. So I envy the fact that you get to have that. Oh. Okay, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with you on that. Like, <laughs> I can't wait for spring. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready, and yeah. I agree with you. Like, when it's good, it's really good. This side, like, it's the weather really is amazing. Good. Yeah. Mm. So actually, let's get into that. Like, how did you first move to Lehigh University? Because you completed your undergraduate, your honors, as well as your masters in South Africa. Like, why did you decide to? do your PhD in America and even in Pennsylvania specifically? So I've been to a number of universities in South Africa. I did my bachelor's at WITS and my honours at UCT and my first master's uh, at Stellenbosch. And I feel like I had access to some of the most brilliant minds in academia in the country. Yeah. Uh, the privilege to be, you know, working under their tutelage and to receive their knowledge and to grow as a person from interacting with them. But the kind of skills I wanted to have as a specialty, it was hard for me to find someone within the country that could teach me what I wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And I had already been to all these, uh, you know, three of some of the best universities in Africa. So I decided maybe it's time to go a bit further to get what I need. So I started looking for universities abroad, you know, that offered the kinds of programs that could give me the skills that I wanted to acquire. And I found my advisor, Professor Michael Gill, who is also the current chair of the department here at um, at Lehigh. I made contact with him. I made a, I guess, an 
a convincing speech <laughs> <laughs> and he agreed to be in my advisor and I came here. Okay. And how has that been? Like, what was it like when you first arrived? So I first came in 2017. It, it had been less than a year, I mean, around nine months. Yeah. With Trump being president, like his presidency was still new. Yeah. But when I got here, I mean, like, I think I experienced the general, like, bell curve of experience that most people who travel to, to live in new places typically mm. do. You know, firstly, at the first point, you're very excited because everything's new. Everything <laughs> is just, wow. Yeah. Everything is so different. Um, from like big things, like, you know, what the classrooms look like to small things like, yeah, it's called a traffic light. If you say, where are the, the robots? <laughs> like, no one will understand what you're talking about. So many things are different and that's always exciting. Uh, I find, I find novel experiences exciting. But then after that, you enter like that period of longing for home. Mm. Like, you know, when the novelty wears off and you start missing what's familiar. And so that happened to me as soon as winter started because winter, oh. the winter of 2017 was brutal. It wasn't as bad as the winter of 2021. But we're still pretty bad. Uh, snow is a very common occurrence. Yeah, it snows very frequently. From about, it's, the first snow comes around the start of November and it snows until mid-April. Whoa. Yeah. That's so a when long the snow time. started, it's a long time. I think the weather was one of the things that I had to get used to because even the fall, what is American fall is really, to me, it feels like South African winter. It feels like <laughs> May, June, <laughs> July. So uh, I got here in August and it, in August it was still quite warm. But by October, mm. by mid-September, October, it started feeling like South African winter. And by November it was snowing. And I had left South Africa in August in the middle of like, what is winter? I guess yeah. I feel like I had the longest winter, 2017, 2018. Oh. And then I started missing home. So I came back in December of 2017 to see my family and yeah. see my friends and feel my spirit. And then when I felt better, I came back to America. I came back to Bethlehem in January. Because the winter break had ended. So I feel like going home really helped me. And I think by, by January, February, this started feeling like my home. Like uh -huh. I started feeling like I belong here or like this could be a place I could belong if I wanted to stay mm. here for an extended period of time. Uh, I make good friends here, people who, you know, have made a significant impact in my life, who I feel close to, who I trust. Mm. And I made a significant difference. Uh, and I think that's a typical, I'm sure other people have different experiences, but from those I've spoken to, it seems to be the average arc, you know, you're excited, mm. then it sucks, then you fight. <laughs> so that's typically been my experience. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, so I guess I'm just like going to jump straight into it. Um, you're studying. So when do you first hear about like this coronavirus and you know, this virus that's sort of spreading around the world? And what did you think? Uh, I think I first heard about it around 
the first week of March because in the last few days of February I was in New Orleans on a conference. Uh, it was my first talk and I was very, very excited, you know, talking Aww. in front of all these people I admired. And we had to fly there and that was the last flight I took and everything was normal. And then I came back to Bethlehem, I think on March 1st or March 2nd. And a friend of mine who works with um, students who, who study abroad, mm. they started saying that, you know, like, we're having to bring a lot of kids from who are studying in China, who are doing their study abroad in, uh, in China. We have to bring them back. Um, and I'm like, oh, is there a problem with, you know, U.S.-China relations? Because I would have thought that that would be the thing. But they couldn't tell me in particular. And it sounded like, you know, there's certain things you, you're not allowed to say outside of your department, like things you can't disclose. Mm. But they were worried about the fact that they were having to bring a lot of students back um, from China. But I didn't think much of it. Like, it didn't mm. register to me as something significant, but it was just impacting Lehigh students who are studying in China you know, mm. as a part of their study abroad. But then around the 9th of March, we started getting emails from the university. Mm. So we were about to go into spring break. And spring break is usually like two, three days, and then it's a weekend. But they extended spring break for two more weeks. And mm. when that happened, I was really excited because I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I get a break, I can catch up on all the work I missed while I was in conference. So I was very, very happy uh, about the, the two-week extension in our spring break. And then we were allowed back for a few days, and then immediately after that, we were all instructed that the university would not, we would not be able to access the university and until further notice. Mm. Uh, and that's when, like, the, all the confusion and, you know, slight panic started because no one knew what was happening. I think when the students came back, some of the students who came back from China were coming back and they were infected. Oh. Uh, and the risk, I guess, was that like they would spread the virus. But also we have a huge population of international students who are from China. And a lot of uh, the study abroad students were also in Italy. So the process oh. of bringing everyone back was I'm guessing maybe they thought it would create a risk for everyone who who stayed terrestrial, just the risk of travel in yeah. general because you could catch it at an airport. I could have caught it in New Orleans, you yeah. know, from someone traveling to somewhere or from somewhere. So I, I guess they were thinking the best thing is to ground everyone, secure the universities so that no spread can occur within our university spaces. So that was around March when I couldn't access my lab. I was taking a class and we had to move that class online. It was around March when things started happening. Yeah. And that impacted us here as well. And how did that like sort of impact your studies, but also just like your duties as a PhD candidate, the opportunities that you have even in the space of academia? Like, what was that like having to adjust? Yeah. Honestly, I mean, like the two week period, I, I was thriving. I was super grateful. <laughs> and I think a lot of my joy came from the fact that I didn't know what was going on. I mm. think if I, if I knew, I would have been more anxious and worried about everyone. 
but because I didn't know, I thought, oh, I can rest. Oh, I can catch up. But after that wore off, when I couldn't access my lab, I think that's when, you know, the joint turned into frustration. Because yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a regimented person, but it's important to me to get things done. And when I could no longer perform, when I could no longer mm. do things, I felt very trapped and like, I don't know what the feeling is, but it's the emotion, powerless maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think I felt powerless. I couldn't exert my will on the world. <laughs> Everything felt a bit out of control. And for me, like, the space that's always been calming ironically for me has been school like everything related to like my work calms me down and helps put things in focus for me so even typically when things you know might be shaky everywhere else if I go and I focus on my schoolwork or on my projects or whatever I can focus and everything will be fine but with this one I couldn't focus on school because I couldn't do I can do anything. <laughs> so it was very frustrating. And my immediate thing was to take the steps I needed to take to secure my work. Um, but that itself was difficult because it wasn't in my control. There was an ethics board that we had to go through and they were very particular about some things. But once we were able to have access to offices and, and labs and take certain things that we would need, I was able to, to focus and use that as a coping strategy through it. And I think after that, like once I got into that that state of new normal, things went really okay. Like things yeah. felt fine on the academic front. Like I finished my class, I still got I still did well. I finished my second masters, I defended that thesis, it went well. I completed the studies I was running, I ran more studies and because mm -hmm. I couldn't have access to physical people people like physically coming into the lab I moved my studies online and I completed um, my experiments way quicker because everything mm. was online and I didn't have to be here in the lab to to usher people one at a time so on the academic front COVID I mean COVID was horrible you know like in mm. all in all is it's not done yet it is horrible <laughs> in all respects but I think I was able to make it work for me in the domain of my studies and my responsibilities as a PhD student. I think where the struggle came was like everywhere else, like in the domain of just being a human being. <laughs> that was hard, you know, constantly being worried about folks, worrying about, you know, my own safety because I'm mm. in a compromise. So worrying about my family, you know, not being able to see my friends. You know, all the struggles that we all went through, like, I feel like in every other way, my experiences are probably similar to most people. My experiences are probably not unique at all. But in the space of my work, I think I was able to use it to my advantage, despite how difficult it was. Yeah. And but also, like, how was it? Like, especially having spoken of how, you know, going home helped you even just like fill up your spirit when things went going well you know when you first moved to the US what was it like sort of experiencing everything but you're in the US and you're watching the news from yeah. afar about like what's happening in SA like yeah. you know what, what was it like adjusting to that Ugh, I mean like it was very anxiety provoking like it was just a lot, lot of 
uncertainty and confusion um, as a combination of two things you don't you don't really <laughs> want to want to have if you if you want charity in your life yeah um yeah i mean like it was that anxiety confusion and powerlessness because there was nothing i could do i think in the beginning like especially like what was i'm not sure what what the word could be to describe this but like south africans in the beginning in their typical fashion were just like having fun with covid like you know on in social media mm. so all these memes that were coming out and people were dancing and and i thought like maybe it's not a problem there it's just a problem <laughs> here <laughs> cuz you know like everyone's no is right okay uh okay but and i think that's that was when the cases were still like very few like and mm. there were like folks who had traveled to italy mm. and and are coming back home now you know and then it started like passing on to like folks who are working within the homes of people who travel so like mm. folks who you know are working as domestic workers and they were getting it and then going home and it yeah. was being spread to their families and the families are spreading it to the community i think then i was like well wow, guys this is really this is really worrisome mm. um and i was especially worried because you know we have a high uh incidence of hiv aids um in south africa a lot of people are need to compromise mm. our living situations like because of like socioeconomic inequality like you know folks are living in in areas where quarantining you know from folks who have covid yeah. would be hard if not impossible um so i was worried about a lot of people back home who i knew like if if they caught it like recovering would be would be tough i mean recovering is tough in general for everybody but mm. you know the systems aren't as in place back home so i think i was very very worried and i think that's when i started like finding other ways to handle my anxiety i started running i started yoga Oh man, like I started gardening. <laughs> I did so many things just to like calm my spirit. But yeah, the ability to not be able to help anyone at home, to not be able to protect anyone, to not be able to return home was really tough. And I think the only thing that made it better is that like my boyfriend here, he was super supportive and my mm-hmm. friends, we all were like in the same boat um and we were seeing each other, you know, online through Zoom and things. Mm-hmm. and I was still calling my parents and my brothers so I was still able to keep in touch with everyone like on a technological uh, platform or on that basis but yeah like it it was rough it was rough not being able to see everyone not being able to go home not being able to do anything not being able to help anyone yeah so you mentioned that you were doing a second masters at Lehigh so it's like were you doing a second masters and then it becomes a phd like how does that work yeah so my masters from stellenbosch is in clinical psychology and community yeah. counseling so it's like a it's a very practical degree and it's professional training to be a therapist so what i'm doing now at ehi the phd i'm doing is in social cognition as a subfield of psychology so it's social psychology social cognition which is more research and more theoretical mm. you know and less practical so my therapeutic background was too distinct from the research oh. part that I'm on now 
So I had to do a second master's. But, like, you do the master's en route to the PhD. Okay. So the first two years are master's, master's years. You do a master's project. Uh, and then you do, on the third year, a year of independent scholarly activity. And then on the fourth year, you do your PhD dissertation. And the fifth year, which for me is about to start in August, you do your actual dissertation. Oh, okay. So... So then that would mean then, like, if you started in 2017, your actual master's came to an end in 2019. Yeah, so I started in 2017 in August. So that's 2018 August, 2019 August. I finished my coursework, but my thesis Hmm. took longer. So I had to finish it in 2020. I had to defend it in May of 2020. Okay, okay, so then only after May of 2020 you were going to start your actual PhD? Technically, I started my PhD in 2017, so they count 2017 to 2020, all of that is the PhD. Okay. But, like, the PhD program is five years long. Okay, okay. And you do certain things within the PhD process, so, like, they have, like, certain checkpoints or milestones. Mm. So it's not like you start and stop, start and stop. It's all continuous, but like there are certain milestones at different years. So after two years, the first milestone is masters. Mm. Uh, and then on the third year, the next milestone is independent work. And then on the fourth year, the next uh, milestone is pre-dissertation, dissertation proposal. And then the final milestone is the actual PhD. Uh, but you only like, we enter candidacy once you've met all these other milestones, I guess it's their way of like weeding out who's who's, who's not serious <laughs> about this. Um, and so it happens that you know, like some folks, you think you want to do a whole PhD, but after you know the masters, you think you know what, I'm done. This is not mm. for me. Like, so you can leave with the master's degree instead of like you know leaving without anything to uh. hold. All of it is the PhD program, but within it there are different milestones with the actual PhD being the final project. Okay, so now I'm wondering, I think it was around, what, June? I think it was around this time, like June, July, August uh, of 2020 when Trump's administration wanted to implement a policy, you know, that like foreign students who are not studying on campus should go back home. Were you worried at all about like that policy, how it might affect you? Was it going to affect you if like your program was structured in that way or for sure it would have affected me uh especially if i could have traveled to south africa i mean Mm. at that point i couldn't go back home because south africa was on the the no-fly zone Mm. like i could go back home but coming back from south africa would have been hard but if i could have gone back home that policy would have affected me because in 2020, I did take one class, and that class was purely virtual. So everything oh. about that class was online. Uh, we didn't meet on any level. And because all my classes would have been online, I would have not been able to come back if that policy had, had uh, been gone implemented, through. yeah. Yeah, but to be honest, like, the school at Lehigh and most schools, like really, mm. especially I, I know schools on the East Coast, really advocated on behalf of international students. 
Like I was every school. I don't know if every school, but I think every school. Mm. I know definitely Lehigh has um, a representative who lobbies in Washington on behalf of Lehigh. So they were they formed like a, a group and they wrote like you know uh, documents and they were going to sue whichever department <laughs> came up with this with this um, policy. And that really helped in, in making sure that it doesn't pass. But my university was also like willing to help us as international students because there are a couple of us international students in the department from different places. I'm from South Africa. There are a couple of folks from China. Mm. So what my department did was while you do your classes, you also have to meet with your advisor. So as a part of like ongoing research. So I meet with my advisor every week. In fact, we're going to meet today for uh, a meeting today. So they were willing to make our meetings, our meetings with our advisor physical. So we would meet like outside somewhere. That way we can still say uh, us meeting to talk about uh, ongoing research and experiments Mm. is a class and it does require us to physically be at Lehigh. So that was the loophole they were going to use if the law had passed. Okay. But uh, luckily it didn't pass, so I didn't have to worry about that for longer than a month. <laughs> but I can imagine you probably were really worried. Like uh, it must have been another thing to stress about on top of like a yeah. pandemic. Yeah, it was It was really concerning. I won't lie. It was concerning. So, okay, so when last was you in South Africa? Like, I can imagine then the last time was back in 2018, you said? Yeah, so uh, actually, I think it was 2019, last time I was in South Africa, because I came back again in 2018 in December, and I came down with a friend of mine, and we did a a little tour of South Africa, um, you know, from Joburg to Cape Town to KZN to Mpumalanga, and then she flew back to the US, and then I stayed um, for three more weeks, and then I flew back in January of 2019. So the last time I was in South Africa was January of 2019. And how has that been, like not being able to come back? I mean, it's been tough. Like I miss my family, but I think also I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. So. I'm able to appreciate the beauty and the value of mm. where I am instead of longing for a place I cannot be uh, right now. I'm very happy with the present moment, <laughs> with all its challenges. I'm happy where I am. And when it's time, if the time comes to be in the country again, to go back mm. to South Africa, that will be where I am. And that will be what it is. And it will be okay. So mm. even though... I do miss my family and my friends. I'm also quite happy here. I found my place here, or what has been in my place for the past couple of years, and it's my home here too. And mm. when it's no longer my home and I have to move back to South Africa or I have to move to a different country, that will be my home. So I, I miss it, but it's not with a longing spirit that debilitates me. Mm. Um, I miss the people, I miss the weather, I miss experiences. But all of these things are, you know, in my memory and they are within me. The experiences I will never forget, they are part mm. of me. And what I have here 
is also important, is also significant. And it's a space, a moment in time. Because I feel like everything is just a moment in time. Everything is passing. Everything is fleeting. I appreciate this moment in time. Oh, it sounds like you're doing good overall. I mean, that's usually the last question I ask is just like, how are you overall, especially now in 2021? Like with, I mean, I know in the US, it's sort of like the last stretches of the pandemic, if I can say so, because it, yeah. it seems like you're coming out of it, whereas we seem to still be right in the midst of it. So yeah. how are you doing now that it's 2021, it's summer for you guys that side? How are you coping? Yeah. Um, to be honest, pretty well. I mean, I got vaccinated in March of this year. I oh. got both shots in March. And we started, like, things started opening up around the end of uh, April, May-ish. Mm. So we are able to gather in groups outside now without many restrictions. There are fewer restrictions at the lab here. So in many ways, things are returning to some normal, which I'm grateful for. And I'm able to, like, pick up my hobbies again, like, mm -hmm. you know. So I think I'm actually pretty okay. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, as, I'm functioning as in the same way most students function. The, the threat of COVID isn't as scary as it was this mm -hmm. time last year. And I wish South Africa where, where America is right now but the situation is different back home honestly i'm more grateful than anything if i mm. were to complain about anything you know it would be ungrateful and you know it would be based on a lack of awareness of my good fortune mm. um so you, you won't hear me <laughs> you won't hear me complain i'm okay i just i'm hoping things settle down back home so that we're all okay yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Ne, for joining me today. Thank you for agreeing to speak with me. And yeah, I hope you'll do well and good luck with your studies. Good luck for your final, your fifth year. Um, wishing you all the best. Thank you, Zola. Thank you. Bye. And Bye. thank you, everyone. <laughs> thank you, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye as well. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. You can follow us on Instagram at COVIDstuckabroad. On Facebook, you can search for CSA to like the page. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at COVIDstuckabroad at gmail.com. Please see show notes for the links. This episode of COVID Stuck Abroad was produced by Zola Zegut with funding from the National Arts Council's Presidential Employment Stimulus Program. The episodes were recorded at Solar Gold Studios.